Hello and welcome to a special episode of Right Now with Ralph Martin, a podcast where Dr. Martin shares what the Holy Spirit is stirring up in the church right now. For the season of Advent, Ralph is offering a four-part online mission based on his book, The Fulfillment of All Desire. To watch video of the full mission, visit our YouTube channel, or participate live each Sunday by registering for free at renewalministries.net slash advent. And now, your host, Ralph Martin. Let's open with a prayer and ask the Lord to help us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, we thank you for the privilege of being together We thank you, Lord, for the comfort and consolation of knowing that we're not alone in following you, that there's so many that are all over the world. And Lord, we thank you for this Advent season. We thank you for this time where your Holy Spirit is helping us to pay more attention to you and be alert to your Holy Spirit and meditate on you, Jesus, and remember the love of your Father and his plan for the salvation of the world. Father, we ask you to Help us tonight benefit from the wisdom of your holy saints, those great doctors of the church in the area of spirituality that were drawing on their wisdom. We ask you to be with us for this next hour or so and help us to understand more of your plan, more of your call, and receive more of your practical wisdom and be able to come to some definite decisions that will help us move along the journey to greater union with you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let, let me begin with just a little review of last week for those who maybe are joining us for the first time. The main point of last week is to make clear, clear, clear that holiness is necessary. We paid attention to a scripture passage uh, in Leviticus and other places in the Old Testament, Exodus, be holy because I am holy. And we saw how that same exhortation from the Lord was repeated in the New Testament. St. Peter quotes it, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. If we want to have anything to do with God, we have to say yes to the call to holiness. Then in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, strive for that holiness without which Nobody can see the Lord. If we want to be with the Lord forever, we have to strive for holiness. We have to turn away from those things that block our relationship with the Lord or damage it. We have to turn towards the Lord and embark on the path of holiness. And then we also paid attention to Ephesians chapter 1, where it tells us the purpose of our life, why God created us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He destined us in love to be his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. Before the world was created, God had us in mind. He had us individually in mind. He had us personally in mind. And the only reason why he created us is so that we could be one with him forever. The whole reason Why we're alive is to be one with God. But in order to be one with God, we have to become like him. I know that sounds like an impossible thing to become like God. God's perfect. God's holy. God's transcendently holy. He's transcendently good. He's transcendently merciful. How can we be like God? Well, we can be like God by participation 
in his life by eating his body, by drinking his blood, by listening to his word, by obeying his word, by praying, by communing. We're going to be talking about some practical things about that in a few minutes. Last week, too, we talked about making a decision. Decision number one, to believe what God's word tells us about why he created us. No matter how worldly we think we are, no matter how weak we think we are, no matter how sensual we think we are, no matter how wedded to the things of this world that we think we are, we were created for holiness. Even if we think we're not spiritually inclined, even if we think that we don't have a clue about certain things, even if we think that our bad habits are so great that they'll never be changed, it's not true. He who calls us is faithful. He who created us has a plan for making us holy. And if we just kind of say yes to that plan and say, yes, I believe that God created me for union with him, that's a really important initial step of the journey. And then the second decision I suggested we make last week was to make a decision to strive for that holiness without which Nobody can see God to actually get in gear, to actually start doing some things, to actually come up with a plan. We're going to be talking more specifically tonight about what the plan is. I'd like to say something about the cover of the book. I'm inspired by the cover of the book. It's a painting by a painting called a painter called Thomas Cole, who lived in the last part of the 19th century. And the name of the painting is The Pilgrim of the Cross at the End of His Journey. And you see a little picture of a little figure entering paradise where two figures in white are ready to greet him. And that's the journey that we're talking about. We're talking about a journey that all of us are on. One of the things that Teresa of Avila said, it's it's not rocket science. She said it's so simple. If you just keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll soon find yourself at your destination. We want to enter paradise. We want to be greeted by brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and aunts and uncles and ancestors we've never met and children that maybe predeceased us who died in a friendship with the Lord. We want to be there. We want to be in paradise. We want to return to the Father's house. That's what we're talking about. Now, The epistle today for the second Sunday in Advent is really relevant. It talks about the Lord coming, how he's not delaying, he's patient, he doesn't want anybody to to perish, he wants everybody to come to repentance. But at a certain day, the the door is going to close. The door is going to close in our life. The door is going to close on this phase of life on earth. And the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a mighty roar, and the elements will be dissolved by fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found out. Since everything is to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be, conducting yourselves in holiness and devotion, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved in flames and the elements melt by fire. But according to his promise, we await new heavens and a new earth in which the righteousness of God dwells. Therefore, beloved, 
since you await these things, and isn't that what Advent's all about, is stirring up the desire for the Lord's return, stirring up our gratitude for his first coming. Therefore, beloved, since you await these things, be eager to be found without spot or blemish before him at peace. Pretty powerful word, pretty powerful confirmation of what we talked about last week. Now, I'm going to start off tonight by talking about an overview of the journey. The journey to God, traditionally in the in the spiritual writings of the saints and the tradition of the church, has been delineated into three stages. They're talked about as the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way. And you can see the book is actually divided into those three sections. But I don't like to use kind of technical language very much. So purgative way I describe as the beginning of the journey. Illuminative way, the journey continues. The unitive way, journeys end. So we're on a journey, and it does have stages. It does have phases. The purgative way, which is the first part of the journey, and that's the part we're focusing on during these Advent talks. Uh, it's not that, that everybody I'm talking to is only in the purgative way. I'm sure a lot of you are in the illuminative way. Some of you are probably in the unitive way. But it never hurts to review the foundations. It never hurts to review basic truths, basic realities, basic decisions to make sure our foundation is still firm. It's not crumbling. No cracks have gotten into our armor. Uh, no chinks have gotten into our armor. Uh, no lies have kind of gotten into our head and that we're still really clear about what this is all about and how to make progress on the journey. So we're going to spend our time these four sessions on the purgative way. Now, the purgative way has, what, eight chapters in, in the book? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's long, and there's a lot of stuff in there. And so I've had to kind of narrow down what we're going to talk about in these four weeks. So the purgative way is the initial turning away from God, turning away from sin, repentance, getting the lay of the land about the journey, overcoming initial temptations, uh, engaging in initial spiritual conflict, moving towards basic stability and order and peace in our life. We're not falling back into grave sin where things are basically pretty stable. The illuminative way is stability. Our life is basically under the lordship of Christ. There's all still kinds of things that need to come more under his lordship, but we're pretty much under his lordship. That's our intention. That's pretty much where we're at. And uh, new habits are established. We're getting good habits, habits of prayer, habits of resisting temptation, habits of, of love and charity, habits of forgiving those who offend us. You know, good habits, virtues, growth and virtue, growth and self-knowledge. Growth in understanding how much there is in us that still has to be changed. Uh, growth in knowledge of God. You know, and uh, those are the two things that Catherine of Siena says are the most important things for helping us advance on the spiritual direction. Self-knowledge. Getting to a greater understanding about what's blocking us, what's holding us back, our attachments, the things that are inordinately attached to in our life. And uh, getting a greater knowledge of how good God is, how loving he is, how close he is, how much he's for our good, how much everything he asks of us is for our welfare, is for our fulfillment, that how he so much wants to fulfill our deepest and greatest desires. Uh, okay, um, it's also uh, dealing with uh, and learning how to recognize in our life movements of our soul. Uh, 
It's called concupiscence, being attracted to things, desiring things, uh, the irascible uh, passions, being averse to things, uh, turning away from things. Uh, and so learning how to recognize our attractions and our aversions, learning how to discern, uh, putting our loves in order, putting our desires in order, getting them under the control of the Holy Spirit so that we don't react negatively out of the Lord and we don't react positively in an ordinate way, but in a balanced way, in a godly way, in a Holy Spirit way, living in the Spirit, not living or reacting or acting in the flesh in these disordered desires. The unitive way is prepared for by a very profound purification. Purification goes on all through these stages, and there's a deeper purification that happens. You know, John of the Cross talks about it as in the earliest stages of the spiritual life. It's like the weeds in the garden were cut off on the level of the soil, but the roots were still there. So the the obvious kind of weeds in our garden get get dealt with, but there's still the roots there. And so the Lord, after a period of time, and according to his wisdom, according to his kindness, according to his tenderness, begins to deal with the deeper roots of the weeds that are still in us. Now, in order to not discourage you about the journey or the later stages of the journey, let me read you something that John Cross said. He said, those who have more considerable capacity and strength for suffering, God purges more intensely and quickly. But those who are very weak, their, purg their purgation is less intense and the temptations lessened, and he frequently refreshes their sense to keep them from backsliding. Francis de Sales says, a slow cure is the best cure. Now, I'm on the slow cure path myself. Drew confesses tonight. Uh, I'm, I'm glad the Lord isn't doing that overwhelmingly intense, quick purgation. I want to be completely purified. I want to be completely transformed. But I'm, I'm glad that the Lord has recognized my weakness and is taking me a step at a time. And it's so encouraging to be on the pathways. It's so encouraging to see what the Lord has done already. And, and I know he's got a lot more to do, and I'm really looking forward to it because I know he's so skillful. He's so wise. He knows how to work with each of us and not discourage us and not turn us back from the journey. Okay, after the deeper purification that leads to the unitive way, all kinds of wonderful, wonderful fruits. Teresa of Avila says, once we reach the unitive way, once this deeper purgation happens, amazing spiritual fruitfulness happens, amazing apostolic fruitfulness. It makes sense, doesn't it? The more we're in tune with the Lord, the more we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, the more we're going to be a blessing for other people, the more we're going to experience the love and freedom that the Lord has for us, the more we're not going to be tossed about by our own disordered desires, but we're going to be moved by the Spirit. We're going to act in the Lord. And, and what a blessing that's going to be for everybody else in our life. So there's just all kinds of wonderful things. Uh, we're not going to get to them in this four weeks. Uh, but as you get to the later chapters of the book, there's going to be a temptation for you to say, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm here yet. Uh, I'm not sure I can handle this. And, and that's okay. You know, if, if you don't feel like you're ready for a later chapter right now, that's okay. You might want to, though, kind of at least skim through, just get a little feel of what's happening and not skimp on the last chapter about the fruits of the deeper union because it's really helpful to know how good it gets. Taste and see how good the Lord is. It's really good. 
the deeper union we have with the Lord, it's really good. It's really worth everything. It's, it's worth everything. Okay, um, but it's perfectly okay if there's an earlier chapter in the book that's really resonating with you. Say, hey, this is really speaking to me. Stay with it. Don't feel you have to go on. Some people like to get a, the whole lay of the land, get the picture of the whole journey. Some some are ready. Some are okay with waiting on that and just kind of working with what's really speaking to us right now in an earlier chapter. Now, on page 13, there's a chart. I, I don't want to get too technical here, but one of the things that I discovered in studying these doctrines of the church is that even though they use different terminology, even though they sometimes use the traditional categories of purgative, illuminative, and unitive, and sometimes they don't, they're all talking about the same basic transformation by the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what this is is a little chart showing the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the unitive way, and how Teresa of Avila, John of the Cross, Catherine of Siena, Bernard of Clairvaux, Francis of Sales talks about those ways. So it's a little chart to get you an understanding of the different vocabulary they're using, but basically what they're talking about is the same thing, those traditional three stages. Now, Teresa of Avila, uh, for example, divides it into seven mansions. And I'm not going to go into detail into seven mansions, uh, and what she's talking about is an interior space in our soul that the more we get to the center, the more we get to the Lord himself who's dwelling in our soul. He says the first three mansions are purgative. It's it's kind of turning away from sin. It's battling temptation. It's overcoming initial mistakes we make. It's uh, getting to the point of a basic stability in our life. But then she makes the remarkable statement. She says anybody who gets to mansion three which is a basic stability in the Catholic life, there's no reason why they can't all go all the way to Mansion 7. This is a pretty radical statement. It's pretty important to hear this. She says there's no reason why people who reach a basic stability in their Catholic life can't go to the full Mansion 7, the full spiritual union. And she says the reason why so few people do it is because of a lack of knowledge and a lack of desire. The lack of knowledge is a lack of self-knowledge, but it's also a lack of knowledge about God, but it's even a lack of knowledge about the practical things we need to do to make progress on the spiritual journey, which is what we're going to be focusing on in these weeks. Lack of knowledge about how we can get off the track, lack of knowledge about how to understand things that are going on in our life that we don't understand. So self-knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of the pathway that these doctrines of the church have mapped out for us. What we have in this, this teaching here is an incredible guide map for the journey to God. And we're going to learn tremendously important and useful things. But then she says, she talks about lack of desire. She says, unless you have a very great desire for God, you're not going to make very much progress. That makes sense, doesn't it? Unless you really want it, you're not going to really go after it. You're not going to really be willing to do the things you need to do. But she says, if you lack a great desire for God, ask God to give it to you and he will. This is really an important truth here. Every time you think you've reached your limit, every time you think you can't go any further, every time you think you don't have what it gets, what, what it takes to go 
keep going on the spiritual journey. Every time you're tempted to think, well, I think I've come far enough. I think I'll just stop here. This is good enough. I'm so much better than I used to be. And I'm certainly better than those people over there. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't compare yourself to other people. Don't even compare yourself to what you were like before, other than to thank God for his mercy and understand that he has more mercy for you. But keep your eyes, as Teresa of Avila said on Jesus. He's saying, come on. He's come on, come on up. Like in C.S. Lewis's uh, Chronicles of Narnia, the, one of the last battle, come on further in and further up, further in, further up. There's more. We're being invited to more. We're invited to come right up to Jesus. And as scary as that sounds, and as unbelievable as it sounds, yes, he's saying, come to me, come to me, keep going, keep coming, don't stop. So if we're lacking great desire, Ask God to give it to us, and he will. I kind of look at this like this. You know, somehow in many of our countries, if you below, fall below a certain level of income, poverty level, if you're below the poverty level, you qualify for welfare. You qualify for state help. Well, in the spiritual life, if you admit your poverty, you qualify for divine welfare. The Lord stands ready to help you in your poverty, and understanding our poverty is part of the spiritual journey part of the self-knowledge. Okay. Now, does it matter if we know the seven mansions, if we know the three stages of spiritual life? Not really. It can be helpful. Uh, People sometimes ask me, uh, do we need to know what mansion we're in? Do we need to know what what stage we're in? Well, you know, as you grow in knowledge of, of the spiritual stages, as you grow in knowledge of characteristics and fruits of various spiritual development, you might get a rough ballpark idea about where we're at, that we were, we're, we're still in the purgative way or we're in the illuminative way. And, and what, what the saints say is these, these stages can take years. You know, you can be many years in the illuminative way. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Teresa of Avila says, you know, it took her 10 years to get from one stage to another. It took her another 12 years to get to the final stage. And, uh, you know, it can take years. It takes it takes a long time for the Lord to work these changes in our life. So don't get discouraged. And so it can be helpful to know roughly where we are, but we don't have to know exactly. And we shouldn't get into navel-gazing, kind of saying, where exactly am I? We just need to keep our eyes on Jesus, keep making forward, keep doing those things that the Lord and the saints tells us is really helpful. Therese of said the higher, the more she grew in union with the Lord, the simpler she became and the simpler the journey became. It is really simple. It really is basically simple. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Do what he tells you to do. Keep opening your heart to the Holy Spirit. Teresa of Avila said uh, on page 129, I'm not going to read it. You can look it up. She's saying, all I'm saying is keep your eyes on Jesus. If you do so, you'll soon find yourself at your destination. Jesus is the way and the destination. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, he's going to bring us to himself. He's the way to the destination. He's the destination ourselves. So we're already there in a certain way. And we're just unfolding the reality of that. You know, scripture says our life is already hidden with Christ in God. We're already with Christ. We're already in the Trinity with them. And this is unpeeling back the layers of, of dullness of mind and hardness of heart and, and, and sin that kind of keeps us from fully realizing the union that the Lord has established with us already. Okay. Now, remember the four principles we talked about last week that govern the spiritual journey. And these are principles that are applicable at each stage of the journey. 
They, they, they're more or less prominent in one stage than the other, but they're principles for the entire journey. They're relevant in every stage of spiritual development. Remember what they were. Principle number one, and this comes from John Paul II in his uh, document, Novo Millennio Ineunte, the beginning of a new millennium, where he summarized the, the spiritual teachings of these doctrines of the church in four principles. Principle number one, the spiritual journey is totally dependent on the grace of God. Spiritual principle number two, even though the spiritual journey is totally dependent on the grace of God, our effort is necessary. We're going to talk about those first two principles tonight. Uh, next week, we'll talk about principle three. Principle three, there are some painful dimensions to the process of purification. There's some death that we have to undergo. There's some ticking of our cross we have to go. They're saying no to sin and yes to God that has to happen in our life. But it's a, it's a wonderful stage. It's, it's wonderful wisdom. It's really good news. Principle number four, we're not going to get to it uh, during these four weeks. Even though it takes some effort, even though it's totally dependent on the grace of God, even though it can take many, many years, making progress on this journey is the most worthwhile thing we can do in human life because even if we don't reach the final stage before we die, every little progress that we've made, every step forward that we've made, every consolidation of habit and virtue in our life that we've made, every liberation from sin and from deception that's happened in our life is going to bring us into a greater identity of who we are and what we were created for and be a greater blessing to other people and not be afraid of suffering anymore in our own life. Okay, let's talk about principle number one. Principle number one, the spiritual journey is totally dependent on the grace of God. Here's where Therese of Lisieux is a tremendous teacher. She writes in her story of a soul. She says, I'd really like to be a saint. I really want to be a saint. I know it's the purpose of life, but I don't think I've got what it takes. I'm not attracted to these great penances that I see so many saints doing. Uh, I see these big steps I need to take in the spiritual life, and I, I, I don't think I could do them. Uh, I don't think I'm like a spectacular rose or a spectacular lily in the garden of the Lord. I think I'm just a little forest violet. You can hardly see on the forest floor. She says, I wonder if there's a shortcut for people like me. Well, I'll tell you, she discovered the shortcut, and she really, really felt like this was a shortcut that made a huge difference in her life. What shortcut did she discover? She writes in the story of a soul. She says, once I took my place in the arms of Jesus, it was amazing when I was then able to see and understand what happened in my life. Now, for, for the many men who are with us tonight, uh, you may feel uncomfortable with that image in the arms of Jesus. You may not. It, it, it's personal. But, but men can also kind of relate to another image. It's the beloved disciple resting his head on the chest of Jesus. What does that communicate to us? What is the arms of Jesus? What is resting our head on the, on the chest of Jesus, on the heart of Jesus? What, what does that communicate? It communicates uh, complete trust, complete security, just complete happiness. We're with the one who loves us more than anyone could ever love us, who knows us more than anyone could ever know us, and who accepts us more than anybody could ever accept us. We're with him. We're with our creator. We're with our redeemer. We're with the one who sacrificed everything for us. We're with him, and we're in friendship with him. 
and we can rely on him, we can trust you. I think of how St. Faustina expressed it, Jesus, I trust in you. And that brings such a peace to our soul, such a joy to our heart, even in the midst of difficulties, even in the midst of the spiritual battle that we're in. Therese goes on to talk about her life in the convent. And she says, you know, I've been in the convent almost seven years. And uh, she, she, she died at the age of 24, suffocating from tuberculosis. Her last year and a half was pretty hard physically and spiritually, the battle she was going through. But she says she writes in the story of a soul. I've been in the convent almost seven years. She entered just short of her 16th birthday. So she only has a year or two to go. And she says, almost every time I've gone to pray, even after receiving communion, I fall asleep. She says the whole purpose of a Carmelite vocation is prayer. And honestly, I have to tell you that almost every time I go to pray, even after receiving communion, I fall asleep. She says, you'd think I'd be desolate. You'd think I'd be profoundly discouraged, but I'm not. And then she tells us why she's not discouraged. She says, I know that God loves me even while I'm sleeping. Wow, okay, let's remember that. In our sleepy prayer times, let's remember that. I know that God loves me even while I'm sleeping. And then she says she knows this because she sees that parents, when they put their children to sleep, still love them. As a parent of of six and grandparent of 19, I can say that sometimes we love our children even more when we put them to sleep. Their screaming was driving us crazy. We were losing our holiness. And then she also continues writing. She says, I see that surgeons, when they're doing life-saving surgery, put their patients to sleep. So Therese's confidence wasn't in the quality of her prayer time. Therese's confidence was in the quality of God's love, to love her even in the midst of her weak prayer time, her, her sleepy prayer, that somehow the desire to pray, the desire to be with the Lord, was, was uniting her to the Lord, even though she was falling asleep in her prayer time, even after receiving communion. Catherine of Siena tells us that the desire for union with the Lord is itself a prayer. Now, principle number two. Even though the spiritual journey is totally dependent on the grace of God, our effort is necessary. It's not sufficient. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves holy. It's something that God has to do. Only God is holy. It's like Jesus said, call no man good. Only God is good. There's just things in all of us human beings that aren't good. There's, there's things in all of us human beings that need healing, need purification, need cleansing, need redemption. That's why Jesus came, because of what we need. We need Jesus. We need healing. We need deliverance. We need freedom. So our effort is necessary. What kind of effort? This is where seek the holiness, seek for, strive for the holiness without no which, which well, without which nobody can see God. This is the striving that we that we need to do. Um, first of all, we need to pay attention to God. We need to uh, look in His direction. We need to pay attention to God. Okay. So we have to do our part. Our part is seeking the Lord, striving for holiness. And that's primarily expressed in paying attention to God. And the primary way in which we pay attention to God is pray, is to turning our heart and mind to the Lord in his direction, thanking him 
asking for things, praising him, uh, just just kind of being in his presence, just just being still. Like one of the Psalms says, be still and know that I'm God. We just need to be still in a regular way and pay attention to God. I, I want to tell you about my own, my own journey. Uh, the most important decision I ever made in my life was when I made that weekend retreat at the University of Notre Dame just before I graduated. I had gotten caught up in the confusion of, of the 60s when I was growing up in a good Catholic home, going to a good Catholic school, I I really remember loving the Lord. I really remember wanting to be holy, wanting never to do anything to offend him. But, oh, the sad story, as I got older, I got affected by the world, the flesh, and the devil. I, I got confused. I got off track. And uh, before I made that, that weekend retreat, that, that Curcio, uh Spanish retreat that, that has helped a lot of people around the world, a lot of people in the United States and Canada, Australia and other places. Uh, I, I was, I was confused. I even had become a philosophy major trying to understand the truth. And I was getting more confused all the time. And I made that retreat. And all I can tell you is that at a certain point, I couldn't deny any longer that Jesus was alive. I couldn't deny any longer that he was in that retreat house. And I knew that if Jesus was real, if he really had been raised from the dead, if he really was in that retreat house speaking to me in the talks, speaking to me in the testimonies of my fellow retreatants, I knew I'd have to make an incredibly important decision because I knew, I was smart enough to know this at least, that if Jesus is the Lord, the only sensible response to make to him is total surrender, is to write him a blank check. And I knew what he was going to write in on that blank check. I knew that what he was going to write in was everything forever. I knew that there wasn't a trace of selfishness in it. And the reason why he was asking for everything, all of me, is because he wanted all of me to be healed. He wanted all of me to be loved. He wanted all of me to be purified, redeemed, and be made ready for eternal life. That was the most important decision I ever made in my life. Every time we say, I want to give it all to the Lord, we're sincere and we give as much as we actually have control over. But it takes us years for us to make that promise real, to be able to give more and more to the Lord, to recognize the things we've held back, recognize the things we're attached to that are keeping us from him. That's the spiritual journey. The second most important decision I ever made in my life happened a few weeks later. I knew that there was going to be a fluctuation in my experience of the Lord and my in my uh, feeling of love, my feeling of peace. I knew that that was going to fluctuate. But I knew that Jesus was real. And I wanted to be with him. I wanted to pay attention to him. Uh, even when I wasn't feeling anything, I knew that for me meant paying attention to personal prayer. And uh, I needed to decide to take some time each day to be with the Lord, to pay attention to him. I uh, had so many sleepy prayer times, I can't number them. I've had distracted prayer times frequently. One of the encouraging things is Teresa of Avila said uh, for 14 years, she just couldn't meditate without spiritual reading. The spiritual reading is really important. It really helps keep our mind and focus on the Lord. It helps us raise our mind and heart to him. But the saints didn't start off as these these profound contemplatives. They started off as normal human beings 
And Therese kept falling asleep her whole time in the convent. For 14 years in the convent, Teresa of Avila couldn't focus very clearly on the Lord in prayer. She needed the help of spiritual reading to do that. So take heart, brothers and sisters. So I've had my share of sleepy prayer times and distracted prayer times. But I have to tell you, I've had my share of skipped prayer times. You know, uh, I find out that if I don't pray first thing in the morning, uh, and I think I've got a really light schedule, a particular day, and I could do it later. Well, sometimes I can do it later, but sometimes I can't. And so I've resolved to pray first thing in the morning, even when I think I'm going to be able to do it later in the day. And that's made a really big difference in my life. I'd recommend that to you. you got to find a time. you got to set a time. you got to commit yourself to a time. You know, and you, and you just got to look at your own life circumstances and 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 find the best time for you, but really stick to it, you know, really stick to it as best you can. Uh, what do I do? It's not rocket science. I actually did a YouTube video on this a while ago. I think it's called Struggles in Prayer. You could kind of find it on our YouTube channel. But I, I start off just kind of being with the Lord. I start off actually kneeling down, putting my head on the ground like the little children at Fatima did and saying their prayer. I believe in you. I adore you. I hope in you and I love you. And I ask your pardon for those who don't believe in you and don't adore you and don't hope in you and don't love you. I've got a whole video on Fatima. If you want to get more of the background on that, you can just kind of Google Fatima, Ralph Martin, you'll find it. But uh, that's what I do. And I say that three times, just like the children of Fatima say it. And then I just kind of be with the Lord. And if there's days that I'm kind of awake and feeling sort of inspired, I'll just say anything or I'll walk around my office room where I pray. I have this icon of Jesus in my office and that's very moving to me to, to look at the Lord like that. And I, I might just kind of praise the Lord. I could even sing, you know, uh, I have a terrible voice. Uh, every time I start singing in church, my children tell me, dad, dad, you know, kind of, you know, calm down, quiet, you know, you're off key, you know, one of my desires for heaven, one of the fulfillments of my desire is to be able to join the, uh, Heavenly Choir, I, I, I hope they let me in after my resurrected body kind of does a better job at singing. I'd love to praise the Lord with my whole heart, mind, and soul. I'd love to sing beautifully, and I can't do that on earth, but I'm hoping to be able to do that on heaven. And then after about 20 minutes or so, it seems like that's just normally how it goes, I'll pick up this little book, Magnificat. And uh, I know there's different helps for daily prayer and daily scripture readings, I, I think this is the best one out there. I don't get any commission for this. Uh, the people at Magnificat don't even know I'm doing this. You go to Magnificat.com, and you can order this. It comes every month, and it's really helpful. It's also you can download it on your uh, phone or your computer or whatever. I, I like the physical copy. And uh, what it does is it has a little morning prayer there, a little psalm, a little place where you can put in your prayer request. And I have a – I have – my prayer requests written down on a piece of paper. I don't read them each day, but they're there in my heart each day. And I read, read through that. Uh, and then there's the uh, mass readings. And if you haven't been to mass, this is a fantastic way of keeping in touch with the cycle of readings. Uh, and then after, uh, after the mass thing, there's a, there's a meditation that somebody writes. And uh, usually it's pretty understandable and, and, and inspiring. Sometimes it's not. And then one of my favorite features is each day there's a new saint. They give you a little one-page bio. And it is amazing to see how many saints from so many different countries and so many different vocations. It's really, really 
inspiring. And it, it kind of keeps our hunger and desire for God going. But after doing this about 20 minutes, or sometimes it takes longer, sometimes I'll really hit something in Magnificat that I'll just stay with it for my rest of my prayer time. Or sometimes I'll just put it down and go back to just quietly being with the Lord, you know. And if I have time, I'll do some additional scripture reading. And if I have time, I'll read some more of John on the Cross. And, um, you know, so anyway, that's how I do my prayer time. It's not not complicated. It's pretty simple. And But do it. Do it, do it, do it. It's really, really important. Now, uh, just because we have a set-aside prayer time, which we really need to have, because the Catechism of the Catholic Church says, you know, actually we're called to pray always, but unless you pray sometimes, it's really hard to pray always. That makes sense too, doesn't it? Well, we should be raising our heart and mind to the Lord as much as we can all, all during the day. You know, don't always listen to the radio, you know, when you're driving in your car. Uh just be quiet and, and be with the Lord. Uh, uh, Mary's asked us at Fatima to say the rosary every day, and I, I have committed myself to praying the rosary every day. Some days, honestly, I'll miss, but I'll, I'll make it up the next day. I'll say two the next day. Sometimes I do it while I'm taking a walk. Sometimes I do it while I'm driving the car. My wife is holier than ours. She, she says you can be more meditated at the rosary if you do it, like sitting in your chair in your office and uh you know, it's a little harder for me to do that because I have all these other things I want to do in my prayer time, you know. But anyway, uh, I do pray the rosary every day, and that's really important. But but don't don't commit yourself to more than you can actually handle right now. You know, like if, if all you have is 20 minutes uh, for a prayer time each day, take that 20 minutes and, and let it grow over time, you know. Just because you can't do a lot of prayer, don't do no prayer. You know, my mom used to always tell me, I'm not asking you to say a rosary for me. Just say one Hail Mary. I bet she got more Hail Mary said for her because saying one Hail Mary is very doable, more doable than saying a whole rosary. Just because you can't do everything, just because you can't even do your the prayer time that you're committed to each day, uh, do some prayer. Do prayer on the run. Yes, it's not as high quality, but it counts. Now, one of the things that Teresa Blusu didn't, make explicit, but you can see by looking at her life, even though she kept falling asleep each day, uh, and even after receiving communion, what did she do? She kept on showing up. She kept on showing up. I can't tell you how important it is to just keep showing up. Even though you don't think anything's happening, stuff is happening. Just by showing up, you're saying something to the Lord. Even if you feel dead in your spirit and distracted in your mind, your being there physically is is so precious to the Lord. Romans chapter 12, it says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Just dragging your body to prayer. Kneeling down when you're tired. Uh, just getting out whatever prayer you can get out or whatever turning to the Lord you can get is precious to the Lord. And it keeps, it keeps your heart open to him and it keeps him able to give grace to your soul. And you'll see stuff happening. If you persevere, you will see stuff happening, but also just like holiness is necessary. Perseverance is necessary. You know, the curie of ours, St. John Vianney says, the only people who are saved are those who pray, and the only people who are lost are those who don't pray. 
So persevere. Jesus says, he who perseveres to the end will be saved. So don't just persevere after going to a retreat. Don't just persevere after listening to a talk like this, but set yourself for the long haul. Ask God for the grace of perseverance, to persevere in friendship with him until the end. The Christian life, the spiritual journey is not a sprint. It's not a marathon. In fact, in in the early chapters of, of this book, um, what, what chapters I'm drawing from today? Well, I'm drawing from chapter three. I'm drawing from chapter six. I'm drawing from several different chapters in the purgative way. Perseverance is necessary. He who perseveres to the end will be saved. Now, I got to stop now. I'm disappointed I got to stop because I didn't get to other really important things on principle two. Really, really important things. We're talking now about what we can do to turn in God's direction. But we also need to talk, and we'll do this next week. We need to turn away from those things that block or slow down the journey to God. Lots of great wisdom here. Lots of really important truth here. Really important truth here because a lot of lies from the world have gotten into our minds and hearts, I know. And so I hope you'll be with us next week. And let's let's end with a prayer. Lord, I, I thank you. I, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your kindness to us. I thank you for your mercy to us. I thank you for the wisdom you're giving us, what you've revealed to us about how we can be one with you forever, how we can persevere to the end. I'd like to ask you to make another decision tonight. Tonight's decision is, to really be specific about when you're going to pray each day and for how long you're going to pray. Don't overdo it. If you can do it for 10 minutes, do it for 10 minutes. If you can do it for 15, if you can do it for 20, if you can do it for a half hour, if you can do it for more, do it for whatever you can do because being realistic about you and your circumstances is the most important thing. That's the first step. If you did it at a previous time in your life, you drifted away from it, come back to it. The Lord's calling you right now in Advent to return to your first love. Yes, return to your first love. And that means concretely returning to daily prayer. Yes, uh, that's the decision I'm asking you to make tonight. Last week, you decided to strive for holiness. And you made a decision to believe what God told you about who you were created for and what you were created for. Tonight, I'm asking you to make a very practical decision to make those things real in your life, a decision to take time each day in personal prayer. Next week, we have more decisions to make and more wisdom to, to, to pay attention to. So make the decision now and start implementing it this week. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for all that you've given us. And I ask you to ignite in them a greater desire for you. Let the living flame of love burst into flame even more and more and give a hunger for you, a desire for you that will draw them ever closer to you. And I thank you for for telling us that as much as we seek you, you seek us even more. Amen. This podcast is brought to you by Renewal Ministries, part of the Renewal Podcast Network. For more information about Renewal Ministries, visit our website at renewalministries.net. Join us next week to find strength, hope, 
and courage for the Christian journey. Until next time, this is Right Now with Ralph Martin.